Vincent Werbeck's Derby. this morning because um, you're part of uh, friends and family for Noah and you've been dragged along and um, you, you, you knew you having to come to something to church this morning. You knew um, you've kind of wanted to be here to support the family um, and now you, you think, oh, hang on, you never told me I'm going to have to sit and listen to some middle-aged bald man talk for 20 minutes. So I apologize if that's you, but I want to talk this morning, as Jenny's mentioned, about the kingdom of God, which I think is one of the core kind of ideas to help us to put our, our faith into practice. We um, launched St. Werberg's two years ago, just over two years ago. This was a derelict building. Um, it had been a Chinese restaurant, and we had a vision to build an authentic community, which is Christ-centered, that plays its part in transforming the city and beyond. And what we mean by that is we want to gather people together. We want to create a place where it, that's home, where we can know one another, where we can love one another, and we can be that to each other. And so uh, it's amazing this morning to see so many people here. This is kind of like a, a fruition of that vision coming to play and we hope and we pray that if you're visiting if you're here for the first time that you may find a home but the crucial part of that is you you can find community wherever you want you can go and play football or join clubs or do whatever you want to but actually the key to our community here is that it is Christ-centered and we hope and we pray that whilst you find a connection and getting to know one another actually you're connecting with the God who created you and who loves you the God who's with you and for you and you may, may or may not know God. You may have no understanding or comprehension of kind of who God is. But we want everything that we do here to point us towards Jesus. So why have we just been singing? Because it points our hearts to Jesus. It lifts up the person who we think is the reason for our being. And so what we're going to do now is we open God's word because we believe that God wants to speak into our hearts and minds this morning. This isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but this wants, that Jesus wants to speak to you today. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get straight to it. Loving Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to be here. Thank you for all that is taking place around us. And we thank you for your love. We thank you that you love us and that you speak to us. And we ask that you'll do that right now as we open your word to us this morning. Amen. I wonder what is your favorite word? I wonder if any of you have a word in your vocabulary that you just love, that you just kind of keep this clean. Remember where we are for a moment. I, I should have thought about that before I said this. Um, just like a, a word that you think, has anyone got like a favorite word that just kind of Okay, what, what have we got? Oh, that, okay, you've just got my sermon right there. Hang on a moment. Let's come back to that in a minute. Okay, we're, okay, this, okay we're getting there. Right, so this is, this is it. Discombobulated is my favorite word. Uh, Do we have any other? Ob Ethereal. I'm not sure I know what that one means. So we're going to go back to discombobulated. It sounds good. Discombobulated, it sounds like something that Blackadder would have said. And what is good about discombobulated is that it is spelt exactly as you think it would be. I mean, it's like there's no hidden funny letters or anything like that. So for someone like me who finds spelling difficult, discombobulated is a brilliant word. If you don't know what discombobulated means, and I am going to say it a lot this morning, have you got a translation for discombobulated? Discombobulated. It means 
to throw into a state of confusion. If you feel discombobulated, there is a confused world going on. And I think it is, not only is it a brilliant word because it sounds so good, but I think it's a brilliant word because I think it describes our nation at this time. We are discombobulated, thrown into a state of confusion, befuddled. Brexit has confused everybody. And we have this raft of people, different people, some who are absolutely on one side of the argument and others on a different side of argument. And now we've got other people in the middle kind of trying to make way in between. We're just totally and utterly discombobulated. What I don't know is if you can be discombobulated, can you also be combobulated? I don't know whether that's, whether that's even possible. But how do, how do we kind of gather ourselves back together? How do we put our world back into one place so that we're not in a state of confusion, but we have a state of wholeness and integrity and kind of peace to what we're about? Maybe you feel discombobulated in life. Maybe we go through seasons where different things happen. Maybe we, um, we change our jobs or we move house or we have a baby. And in the midst of that, we are, our life is completely thrown in, into confusion. We are upside down. We don't know what's going on. We can't make sense of it. I remember when our eldest was born, uh, she didn't sleep for nine months. So, like... That nine months is, feels like the whole nine months. I didn't know what was going on at all, ever, at any point. Totally and utterly discombobulated. Maybe you've moved to university this week, and kind of you've, you're trying to work out what life is like at university, and it's just different, and it's weird, and discombobulated might be your... I'm, I'm, real, I'm looking at your faces, and some of you are starting to think I might have lost you. It's a good word. It's a great word. And we can feel in that state of confusion at various different times. If you, if you follow Jesus, if you know who Jesus is and you try to live out your faith, sometimes you might find it difficult to track what happens here on a Sunday with what happens in life. How does my work and my faith come together? How do, I do, how do I live as a Christian at university? How do I make all of these things work? It feels confused. And into the midst of that, Jesus presents to us a way that com- can combobulate. I'm going to go with that being a word for the rest of this sermon. Can combobulate our life together that can give us a framework for working out how we do wholeness and integrity and fullness of life. And Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God. Some people might think that, um, that having a faith in Jesus is just about kind of, it's a ticket into heaven. It's a, it's a ticket so that when I die, I get to live in eternity with God and everything's good. And that's all it is. But actually, In the recorded words of Jesus, we hear so much more. Jesus preached, he spoke about, he taught people, he kept going on about, he kept giving illustrations of the kingdom of God. Jesus' very first recorded words, Gospel of Mark is the uh, 
scholars will tell us is the first uh, uh, gospel that was written. And in that, we read this, Jesus' first words, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Here it comes. He says, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this. To understand this a little bit more, we need to try and understand what the kind of the Jewish people were thinking that the kingdom of God might be back when Jesus was walking around. What were they, what were they thinking? Of course, the history of the Jewish people is, as you read the Old Testament, that uh, they had grown as a nation. They had had in their time King David, who was described as the greatest king of all time for that nation. And in the moment, David had been followed by Solomon. Solomon had decided to, he was so wise, he had done such a good job, that they had built this amazing temple in the middle of Jerusalem for God, a place for him to live and dwell amongst them. This was their heyday. This was when they were big and popular and they, they had kind of taken over land and they were in their place. But since then, stuff had happened. The Assyrians had come and had captured them all and had taken a load of them off into exile. The Babylons had come and done the stuff and done some unspeakable things in the name of um, kind of war and all sorts of different stuff, the Jewish people had started to come back into Israel over the centuries. But in Jesus' day, there was another occupying force, Rome. Rome were the ones who were looking after, who were controlling Israel. But yet the the nation of Israel had this belief that a kingdom of God would come again. What they meant by that is that God would become king and he would restore Israel to its rightful place. It would go back to how it was and it would be amazing and everyone would love them and they would become this proud, incredible nation that would bless other nations. If only they could just get it done. And they had different opinions about how it might be done. They had kind of four groupings of people. They had the Sadducees who thought this is all about temple worship. It's about us going in and offering sacrifices because that is what will make God king. They had a bunch of people called the Essenes or Essenes or something like that. It sounds like someone who played midfield for Chelsea in the early 2000s. Um, and they, they, um, they thought we don't want anything to do with the world. We don't want anything to do with what's going on, so we're going to withdraw. We're going to go and live in the desert, and we're going to be pure. And when God comes as king, we will be vindicated as the true believers. It's why uh, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, because the Essenes took the scrolls and out into the desert, and that's where we now have these historical documents. So you had the Sadducees, the Essenes, then you had the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the people who kind of thought, well, we're not so hardcore. We'll mix in with life. We'll continue to do life together. But we think it's about some kind of nat national purity and rituals and just doing the right thing. And if we do the right thing, then God will be happy and he'll come as king. And then you had the zealots. The zealots who were wanting to take things into their own hands. They're like, we can't wait for God anymore. We just got to do this ourselves. And so we're going to crack on. We're going to act 
We're going to have some acts of rebellion and we're going to create this so that God will come back as king. They all had their differing opinions because they just wanted to get it done and go back to how they used to be. Sounds familiar? They were discombobulated as a nation and as a people and they were desperate for God to come and move and to become their king. And Jesus, the son of a carpenter, walks into this scene, this kind of 30-year-old man, and he said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And you can imagine the people who first heard this were probably all going, what now? What on earth are you on about? How, who, where, what does this all make sense? How can you say that the kingdom of God has come near? You're just the son of a carpenter. How does this make any difference to our lives? And Jesus goes on, and in uh, Luke's gospel, um, having had heard all of these questions, he is, uh, we read this, Luke 17, verse 20. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees thought it was just about doing all the right thing, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What Jesus was saying is, he's ushered this new era in. Jesus has come as king to be your king. The kingdom of God is now here amongst us. So having heard all of this, you might be asking similar questions. Who, what, why, how do we make all of this work? What does this actually look like? And they are great questions. The kingdom of God you may have heard, if you've been around church before, is simply the rule and reign of God. You may think, well, that, that speaks to me. That's my life, that God is the king in my heart and he rules and reigns over me. You may have heard the language that the kingdom of God is the, the now, but not yet. There's this kind of, it's come in part and it will come fully at another time. And these things are true. And they give us glimpses of what the kingdom of God is all about. But again, I want us to just get in our head a little bit about what the people of Israel would have thought a kingdom meant. I've got five things that I think people would understand when they talk about a kingdom. And they may seem really obvious, but I think they'll just help us a little bit. Firstly, the kingdom of God, if there is a kingdom, there is a king. The most obvious statement of the morning. For a kingdom, you need a king. And in the Old Testament, they started that. The king was Yahweh, the God of Israel. But when we get to the New Testament, the new king is Jesus. Jesus is our king. The second thing is that the king rules. He has a kind of a way of looking over people and ruling over people. And whilst we might understand kings and kingdoms to rule with a kind of law and uh, kind of heavy hand and all this type of thing, the way Jesus rules is by redemption. It's by rescue. It's by salvation. The king rules by dying for us, by redeeming us, drawing him to us, offering us love and grace and mercy. And so he rules, but he also 
governs. A king governs over us. The third thing is that for a kingdom to happen and there has to be a king and a king who rules, there have to be children. It's just the way it goes. There has to be people. The king has to have people. And again, in the Old Testament, that was kind of Israel. That was the kind of the nation. But in our understanding, it is the church. It is you and me. It is people who have been redeemed by the king. People who have been saved and rescued and brought into a relationship with the king. There is a king. He rules over us and he has a people. The third thing is that the king has a will or a law has a kind of, this is how we live out our lives. Again, for the Israelites, their understanding of that would have been the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. This gave them the law of how to live out under that king. We now have the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus, and then the the words of Paul that help us to understand how we live out under a life, living out under the the rulership the kingship of Jesus. So there is a king, a king who rules by redeeming us. There are people who are welcomed in under that king. There is a king who has a method of living, a law, a will. And there is a space, a physical land, a promise of land. Again, to the Israelites, they would have seen that as the physical land, the promised land that they were being given. And for us, Probably now we understand that to be us. The space, the physical space that we inhabit, whether that is in our homes or whether that is here in church, there is a physical nature to the kingdom because we inhabit it. There is a king who rules and governs over you by love and rescue and salvation, who invites you to be his people. There is a king who has a way of saying, this is then how you order your life. This is how you live this out, and you may occupy space for him. That is the kingdom that people would have understood when Jesus said the kingdom has now come. He is our king. And so you may be sat there going, Phil, this is all very nice and it's uh, um, what it is. I might be even a little bit bored. But what on earth does this mean for me today? What does this look like? What does this mean for me in 2019 in Derby? And I want to say it's because the kingdom of God combobulates us. It turns the world the right way up. We live in a world that is broken and fractured. We live in a world that is hurting, where people look out for themselves, where success is a driver, where political correctness and tolerance drives us forward. And we live broken with anxiety everywhere, with mental health challenges, with people in pain, hurting one another, addictions rife. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God writes that. It puts it the right way up. It is a kingdom that is run by grace. Undeserved love for you and for me. It is a kingdom that is run by forgiveness. 
It is a kingdom that is run by reconciliation, bringing people together again. It is a kingdom that searches for those who are lost and broken and on the edge. It is a kingdom that welcomes children first. It is a kingdom that looks out for the orphan, the widow, the refugee. It is a kingdom that welcomes people and gathers us in. It is a framework that makes more sense than any other kingdom going. Any other ideology, any other kind of worldview that might say, live for yourself and who cares about anyone else. It is a view that says, let's put this the right way up. And you and I are invited to be part of that kingdom. To live out our lives with that as our framework. And it is all possible because of Jesus. In Colossians, Paul writes this. He says in Colossians 1 verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, another way of living, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been transferred from one kingdom to another. No longer do we have to live out as how the world tells us to, with Instagram and Love Island and whatever it else we think that the world tells us we have to live by. We are transferred from that into a kingdom that is about grace and love and miracles and healing and grace. Because Jesus has made that option for us. Jesus has died our death, taken our punishment so that we may enter into the kingdom of his. So that he may be our king. So when Jesus turns up in Mark, beginning of Mark, he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has drawn near. He has come amongst us to usher in this new season. And then he says, repent and believe the good news. The word repent here is the Greek word for metanoia. It means to change your thinking. It means to kind of change your mind. It's like doing a 180 degree turn on where you think your life was headed and what you thought life was all about. To stop thinking as the world tells us we have to and how we have been schooled and uh, conditioned in a discombobulated way to turn and to have a framework to live our lives by, to be combobulated, I'm still going with it, into the kingdom of God. A framework that makes sense of the world. We don't just wait for a political solution to what we're after. We don't just become a Christian who perhaps comes to church on a Sunday and then leaves a different life in the rest of the week. We, we are invited to become kingdom people. That Jesus is our king. And we get to believe that. We get to put that into practice. We get to live that out. The good news that makes sense of this world. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we... Life is difficult. Life is challenging whether that's in the political realm or whether that's just in our private world. 
trying to make sense of life, to have a wholeness and an integrity to everything that we are and all that we are about. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. He's turned the world back the right way up. Given us a framework, a lifestyle, a will, a law to live by, a, a relationship with a king who has sacrificed everything for us. And so we want to know more about what it means to live in your kingdom, to be a kingdom person. So Lord, we repent. We are sorry for the things that we have done that have taken us away from living our lives for you. And we want to believe, we want to live, we want to live out the kingdom of God. So will you speak to us? Will you help us? And may we step into all that you have for us now and always. Amen. Amen.